Hello, welcome to Dungeon Delving. I'm Brandon Wagner, and today we're delving into a couple of my favorite features of 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons when it comes to monsters, and that's regional effects and layer actions. These are two phenomenal tools for encounter building, for adventure building, for making exploration more in-depth, and... For today, I want to talk about utilizing these tools. I'm going to bring a couple examples of the layer actions and regional effects that creatures have. I'm going to bring up a couple examples of creatures that don't have them that I think should. And the kinds of regional effects and layer actions that I would give them. But that's not what I want to focus on with this episode. I'll go into more depth on those on episodes devoted to those specific creatures. But for today, I just want to focus on why you should use them when it's when I wouldn't use them, which is not very often, but there are times. And just, I'm basically just going to sing the praises of regional effects and layer actions because I think they are phenomenal things for the game. So what are they, first of all? Regional effects are great because they don't carry any rules baggage um regional effects are just things that happen in the environment as you approach the layer of a powerful monster now i think that a disservice has been done to low cr monsters there are very few monsters that are a low cr below cr 10 really that don't that have access to these written out in the books. Uh, the exception being hags. Uh, in Volo's Guide to Monsters, we were given layer actions and regional effects for every kind of hag, as well as both that any kind of hag could use. But other than that, layer actions and regional effects are pretty much exclusively given to powerful, powerful monsters. You know, dragons, beholders, aboleths, demon lords, princes of hell, stuff like that. But regional, but they, I think that low CR monsters have them too. But I kind of got off on a tangent there. <laughs> regional effects are nice because they don't carry any rules baggage. Regional effects can vary in size. You know, um... A death tyrant will have regional effects that happen within a mile of its lair. A ancient dragon will have regional effects happening within six miles of its lair. A mummy lord, which I talked about a couple weeks ago, their regional effects are tied to the lair, to the tomb, into the uh, um, tomb or temple, whatever it is that they're trapped in or kept in. Um... So it, it varies with different creatures. And the nice thing, the thing that regional effects do for you as a dungeon master is they give your exploration a little more juice. I feel like a lot of the time we, when our players are searching for the lair of a monster that they're trying to track down and take out, or just get treasure from its hold, but they're going to take it out, that's what players do, They we do we have them roll survival checks and... When they start succeeding on them, that's when they find the lair. And I feel like that 
is fine. Like, that's fine for making a streamlined game where you want to get to the action a little bit faster. But if you're playing a game of Dungeons and Dragons where you want to get into the nitty-gritty of the exploration a little bit more, then regional effects are a great way to have your players find things a little bit easier. So when you're mapping out your world, if you're if you're homebrewing your own world, and when you're mapping it out, and you're like, all right, I want a dragon's lair to be here, then when your players are, they find out that there's a dragon, they start heading that way. They say, okay, the dragon comes from the west, so we'll go west. Do survival checks to make sure you don't get lost. Uh, as they... As events happen, give them opportunities to change the direction that they're traveling. You know, as, as they have a random encounter, and they said, "All right, let's keep traveling." All right, are you going to continue going west? You're going to go north, south, east, back towards town, whatever it is. And as they travel this way, when they get to that point where they're starting to get close to the layer, that's when you start having things happen more often. That's when you slow down the travel to start explaining to your players that they're starting to see things. You know, if they're approaching a red dragon's lair, maybe they see a fire elemental because ancient red dragons, their presence opens portals to the elemental plane of fire. So they see a fire elemental or they see a group of Azair exploring. Um, one of the things that will very quickly tip your players off that they're getting close to a lair is if you're not a DM that does... that. It, goes into detail about their environment often. Um, that's definitely something I've fallen into where I'm not explaining the details of the area they're in until they need to see until there's something they need to see in it. And that's when the players are clued in, you know, oh, he doesn't normally explain the environment in this much detail. There's something here. And that's not the worst thing you can do as a DM, but if you're able to break the habit, then you can slip things past your players a little more a little more easily. You can reward them too for being more observant that way. And when you're doing regional effects, that's when the players that are paying attention get that reward because you're as your players are wandering through the forest aimlessly because they're trying to get to an elven city somewhere in the forest and they're lost and as you're explaining the forest and then you start to explain the trees are growing thicker and closer and closer together you're seeing deer and boar less and less often because the players have wandered into the area surrounding a green dragon's lair and they don't know it but the players that are paying attention they say, oh, as we were traveling yesterday, he was—he said we saw deer, and we saw uh, some boar, you know, we saw lots of birds, it was easy to travel, now all of a sudden the trees are growing closer together, and we're not seeing animals, something's different. That player then gets that moment of, ah, oh, I noticed something, and regional effects give you an outlet to do that very, very easily. One of the things I like to do is I just put ancient dragons in my world. I like dragons, and I don't think that ancient dragons have to be pertinent to your story. You can just put them in your world to flesh it out and have powerful beings that just simply exist in it. The other advantage of having ancient dragons in your world that are just there 
is that as your players are exploring, if they get lost, they can wander into the region surrounding their lair. And you can, really, you can build encounters around those kinds of things. You know, if, you're, if your players are traveling through a swamp and they find themselves close to a black dragon's lair, it becomes uh, harder to find resources. Um, there's fog that lightly obscures the land. There's the water sources become fouled as they get really close to the lair, so they can't find more stuff to drink. Um, you know, like with red dragons, I mentioned that they, the the uh, portals to portals to the uh, elemental plane of fire opens up. Um, so you could have an encounter where, you know, the the people of a town have been getting raided by fiery dwarves. And you're like, what the heck's going on? Just to find out that because there's an ancient red dragon layering nearby, there's an outpost of Azur. You know, you can build encounters around the regional effects of these creatures, not just the creatures themselves. And it gives your world this, it helps you show to the players that these creatures have an effect on the world around them the world and it it reinforces that the world is a living breathing thing it's not just a stagnant sandbox for them to play in their actions have consequences and the actions of npcs have consequences uh as for creatures that don't have them i feel like a lot of low cr creatures deserve to have regional effects more so maybe even than uh layer actions there's a lot of low cr creatures that i would give regional effects to but not layer actions because they don't really need them because they're low cr and and having layer actions definitely makes things more difficult um we'll talk about that in a second but as for regional effects i feel like a lot of low CR creatures should have them. Goblins, for example. You know, if your players are looking for a goblin warren and they're exploring the hills or forest or whatever it is to find it, they'll start to realize when they get close because there won't be as much small game. You know, the goblins have hunted the rabbits and squirrels and small birds. And they'll start finding leftovers of adventurers that have fallen to the goblins. So they'll find, you know, dead adventurers or random trinkets lying around that the goblins ignored or dropped. They'll find booby traps set up. It says right in the monster manual that goblins set up traps around their layers to protect them and trap adventurers and travelers so they can rob them. And having those be those are those are basically regional effects uh, orcs could have them you know as your players get close to an orc stronghold they start to find that uh the um all the metal has been mined you know the orcs have mined up all the metal to use to make weapons um they fell all the trees to make uh machines of war and to build walls around their outpost and they'll just, it's, they start to see the evidence that these creatures are here. 
even though they're not high CR monsters whose magic warps the environment, they still are there and they still have an effect on it. Um, Druragar are a great example too. If your players are traveling through the Underdark and you want to, and they travel near, they're traveling by or to a Druragar fortress or stronghold rather, and they find that everything has been stripped away. You know, the tunnels are stripped clean of any kind of resource. You can build encounters out of this too. These are intelligent, organized creatures. They, you have ambushes. You have them run into scouts. You have them run into guard patrols, stuff like that. Layer actions, however, are a little bit trickier to homebrew because you want them to be balanced and fair, and having them absolutely makes encounters a little bit more difficult. Layer actions have rules baggage. Layer actions happen on initiative count 20, losing ties. And they can't use the same layer action two rounds in a row. I have ignored that, that part of the rule in the past. I had an encounter where my party was fighting a green hag. And her lair was a old tree, like a big old tree that she lived in, and it had three floors. And when they fought her, she would disappear and then reappear on all three floors, two of them being illusions, one of them being the real one. And every round, all of her and both of her illusions would disappear and then reappear a moment later, and she would change position. So my party had to split up and fight her on all three floors, and she could cast spells from any of her illusions, so it would be harder to guess where she was. They would have to, they had to split off. And each of the floors had a different hazard. You know, one of them was supernaturally dark. One had vines that slowed the players down. One had thorns that uh, damaged them every round they started there. But it, rather than give her a bunch of different layer actions, I wanted every turn for her position to shuffle, basically. So the, my players had to split up and try to track her down at all times. Ooh, excuse me. Um, other than that, though, the other ruling, the initiative count 20 losing ties, I did every time. And if you're giving layer actions to a lower CR creature, you can expect that layer action to go first or near first most of the time. Even in my games where my players are getting up towards 15th level, most of the time, only one, maybe two of my players are going before the layer action in the initiative order. And that's just because my brother plays a rogue and has really high decks. And other than that, your players need to have some good rolls because if you have, you know, plus four uh, decks, then you need to roll a 16 or higher to beat it. So that's pretty good odds, but still, statistically, less than half the time, you'll be going before the layer action. Um, oh, maybe not less than half, less than a quarter. Yeah. Well, more than... Anyways, math. Um, <laughs> but layer actions, they aren't always... They aren't... 
like legendary actions, which I'll talk about in another episode. Legendary actions are actions the creature can take between other creatures' turns so that high-level creatures don't get overwhelmed with action economy against a group of players. But layer actions kind of help this a little bit, but layer actions are more of a creature taking advantage of its, well, home field advantage. Um, still on the red dragon, for example, they can cause magma to erupt from a point in the ground within 120 feet. They can have tremors that knock players prone. They can form clouds of volcanic gases. And uh, that poisons people. And what these do is they make the environment alive. And they are... A, they are helpful to the creature that layers there. Um, another thing you can do with layer actions is have them have that point in the economy, in, or sorry, not in the economy, in the initiative order, be your countdown. A couple weeks ago when I did my episode on mummies, I talked about one of the mummy lords layer actions where all the undead within 120 feet of the party become aware of their position and i talked about while your players are exploring in a mummy lord's lair have that pulse out every round you know every round they're exploring a pulse goes out telling everything nearby their position and even though it wasn't in combat it was necessarily in combat it's still like a something happening. Let's say your players are fighting a monster in a tower that's collapsing. Every round on initiative count 20, maybe nothing really happens, but the tower becomes more and more unstable. And maybe parts of the floor fall out, so there's less area for them to fight. And as they fight, if they take too long, the tower will fall with them in it. And then you can basically make a chase scene for them to get out after beating the monster or if the monster tries to escape the falling tower and you you create an encounter that doesn't necessarily have to be a combat encounter maybe your players are just exploring and there's no monsters and the building they're in starts to collapse because uh, the evil wizard they're fighting set a trap or something like that and they lured them into this rickety building and then destroyed used their magic to destroy some of the stuff holding it up, some of the load-bearing walls and stuff like that. And now your players have to escape. So you make that an encounter. You're like, all right, roll initiative and get out of the tower, go. So then your players are each round, it becomes more rickety and they have a set number of rounds to get out before they're in the building when it falls. You can use that uh, layer action tick on the initiative order as your when you count your ticks of something happening. Um, layer A lot of layer actions seem to be, to me, very much uh, in combat with the denizen. Um, a good example I have is from Volo's Guide to Monsters. In Volo's Guide, there's the Morkoth, which is a... Um, 
an aberration. It's this tentacled monster with a beak. It's like a kind of like a kraken or octopus thing, but it likes to hoard treasure. And some of its later actions, it can use its hypnosis action or cast a spell. And those seem like very... When you're in combat with this monster, layer actions. Other layer actions, like volcanic eruptions in the dragon's lair or pockets of gas from the volcano popping up, those don't have to be in combat with the monster. So while your players are exploring, if if you want to break down the exploration into round-by-round exploration of the lair, which will make things very, very slow, but allows you to have more, a more organized and maybe not linear, but straightforward and easier to keep track of, having them explore and have these regional effects happening while they're exploring. And having them happen in different places in the lair. So if they're exploring a dragon's, a red dragon's lair, and they're not fighting the red dragon, but they're exploring... And you're like, all right, this round, a regional effect happens, but you none of you are aware of it because it happens way over here. It happens somewhere in the lair. The disadvantage of that is that if you want to be consistent and you're having your lair actions just happen in places in the lair, then they don't necessarily happen in the area where they're fighting the boss. So that would mean that to keep that consistency, a lot of the turns that they're fighting the boss, the big red dragon, the boss monster, that layer action point in the initiative order is, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't have an effect. And that can make encounters easier than they need to be because, like I said before, layer actions give, help monsters be tougher for higher level parties. Um, as for low CR creatures with layer actions, that's something you want to be a little careful about because... You can, to make your layer actions be flavorful and drive home that point of this is this creature's home turf, you don't want your layer actions to make an encounter impossible for a low-level low party. Uh, sticking to goblins, for example, you know, a layer action could be, I'm going to count 20 goblins from somewhere else in the layer pop up from a hidden... Well, this might, might, might be better for kobolds. Your players are fighting kobolds, and they're fighting a group of them. And on your shift count 20, kobolds from somewhere else in the lair open up a trap door and shoot arrows at the party if we're ducking away. You know, a hidden door or something. And that can very quickly... Kobolds aren't super tough, but that can very quickly wear down the limited resources of a second or third level party. Um, But it's not something you should... You shouldn't consider or try to make fair. You know, maybe instead of a group of kobolds, it's just one kobold pops up and shoots an arrow at the party and then scurries, scurries away. Um, when I used a uh, shrieker in one of my campaigns, I had on the shriekers round is when I would roll to see what heard, if anything heard it. But you can do that on initiative count too. Um, if you're having a monster or a, or a caster working on a spell, you know, they're trying to complete a ritual. 
maybe initiative count 20 is that layer action is when, like I mentioned with stuff taking down, maybe that's when things tick up. You know, that's the spell gets closer to being completed every round on initiative count 20. That way too, you have a specific point where in the initiative order where the thing happens. If they're trying to summon a demon and your party interrupts the ritual and they try to keep it going while fighting off the party. And if the party doesn't stop them fast enough, then you have a set point in the initiative order where the demon shows up and maybe that's the demon's initiative. Or maybe they roll initiative but don't get to move that round so they're just showing up. Who knows? That slot, that layer action slot in the initiative order is something you should always consider even when you're using, not necessarily using a monster that has layer actions. There's a lot of stuff you can do with that point in time, that part of the turn order. I also said earlier that I would mention times when I wouldn't use it, and that is, I brought that up a little bit already, and that's not killing your party. If you're trying to nerf a powerful creature because you want it to be the big bad for narrative reasons, but your players aren't going to be strong enough to take it on at its full, as text in the monster manual describes it, force and power, then stripping of it stripping it of its layer actions is definitely a solid way to do that. Uh, or, alternatively, giving it weaker layer actions. I don't think there's any time that I wouldn't use regional effects. Maybe if I was trying to have my players find a hag or something like that that didn't want to be found, so they tried to keep their magic in check and keep their presence unknown, maybe then I wouldn't use regional effects. But for the most part, regional effects, I feel, don't inherently make things more difficult for your party, so there's no reason really not to, or to not use them. I think regional effects are just fine, and having them around and using them is perfectly okay, even, really all the time. So that's all I got for today. I like layer actions. I love regional effects. I think that they add so much to the part of adventuring where you're looking for the monster's layer because you start to get this. It gives you a a way to not just go, all right, you find it. You you roll survival and you roll well enough and you find it. But it gives you ways to, to tease your players and to give them that satisfaction of, oh, we're getting close. <coughs> Layer actions really drive home that we're on this monster's home turf. It is going to use that to its advantage. And these give your your monster encounters and your layers and your exploration just a little bit more oomph and a little bit more flavor and a little bit more narrative weight. And that is always something that you as a DM can take advantage of. That's all I got for this week. We'll see you guys next week. Keep on delving.